All right, good morning. Welcome again. And online, you're watching, and uh, those of you here, man, we need leadership in our lives. And all of us have had moments in our lives where we've seen good leadership, and then we've had experiences where we've been in bad leadership situations. And we know the, the effect that that has, and our world knows that, right? When, when things are going well, what, what do you do, right? On your sports team, they fire the coach, right? Because it's a leadership issue. If the business is not doing well, get rid of the manager, because obviously she doesn't know what she's doing. If the school is falling apart, then there needs to be new leadership at the top, a new principal, new, new teachers in there. We long for leadership, because we need leadership. And when you serve under good leadership, it's inspiring, it's encouraging. But when, you, when you're in bad leadership, and I was just reading, it says there's 50 countries in the world that are headed by dictators. You're like, how do people, why do people put up with that? Because deep in, deep in our hearts, we, we know we need leadership, but sometimes we accept the narrative as it is, and we just go with the flow as like everyone else is doing. What we find in the book of 1 Samuel, as we've moved, we're moving towards the cross, towards Easter, we looked last week at, at the story of Joshua, and now we, we've, we're celebrating a couple hundred years, and we find ourselves in this period of time which, which surrounds this prophet named Samuel, and this period of time where the people want leadership. Samuel has provided this leadership for them. Samuel was this miraculous kid. His mom couldn't have children. God enabled her to have children, and she dedicated him to the Lord. He becomes this prophet. God speaks to Samuel can read about it in 1 Samuel. Great stories to share with your kids and just to read for yourself. Samuel is God's spokesman. He communicates, God communicates to the people through Samuel. And people knew that the word of the Lord came through Samuel. Under, when Samuel was younger, the, his mentor was this guy named Eli. Eli's kids were not the nicest kids. They were a corrupt group of leaders. They were poor leaders. And the Israelites were getting into trouble, and so they were fighting the Philistines. They said, you know what, we've got an idea. Let's bring the ark with us, because the ark is like some kind of magical symbol. And it will, it will enable us to have victory. And so they bring the ark to battle, and Eli's sons are there. They get killed. The ark gets captured by the Philistines. And everyone's like, oh, no, we're dead, because the Philistines captured the symbol of our God. Clearly, our God is weaker than their God. And so they, you know, they take the ark into the Philistine you know, temple of Dagon, and they're like, oh, no, we're dead. We're doomed. And the next morning, there's, you know, the, the statue of Dagon has fallen over in front of the ark. And like, That's weird. And the next day, same thing again. And his hands and feet fall off. And they're like, this is weird. And then the people start getting, like, sick. And they're like, get rid of this thing. And so they send it to another Philistine town. And then people there start getting sick. And suddenly they're like, like who's going to take the ark? No one wants the ark. Like they, you know, clearly the God of Israel, even though they defeated the Israelite army, is stronger than their gods. And so finally they send the ark back to to uh, Israel, and it's an exciting time. But, but there's this holiness about God that we've been singing about. The ark represents the holy presence of God, and when you treat it with irreverence, there is, there's judgment that comes with that. So there's, there's this sort of love-hate relationship with the ark because these people kind of are, are poking around the ark, and then God, you know, destroys some of them. And you're like, oh, this happens every once in a while. If you're not careful to follow God's instructions, to respect his character and his holiness, things happen. Well, finally it comes to the point where Samuel invites them to, to repent, to come back to the Lord. And so they do. They gather together, and they have this sacred assembly. The Philistines hear about it, and they're like, man, 
the Israelites are gathering together. Let's, let's destroy them. And so they're like freaking out. And, and Samuel's praying for them. He's interceding on God's behalf. And God, you know, through Samuel, gives them this wonderful victory over the Philistines. And that brings us to the beginning of chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. It says, in his old age, Samuel appointed his sons as judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second son was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not follow his ways. Instead, they made money dishonestly, accepted bribes, and perverted justice. You can't have leadership that doesn't have character. This is what I call a leadership problem. There's a leadership problem here. They've got these guys. Samuel appoints his own sons. They're not men of character. Eli had the same issue. He was a godly man, but he somehow met, it missed, it missed a generation there. He didn't teach his sons the ways of God. Samuel seemed to follow his mentor's example. His sons are not following the ways of God. We've got a character issue here. You can't have leadership without character. We all know this to be true. In the last two years, I've watched ministries fall apart all around the world, especially in North America. Men of, 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 you know, who established significant ministries come crashing to the ground because of moral failure, because of dictatorial, you know, you know uh, strong-arm policies, all sorts of things. More recently, my friend texted me. It was like late one night. He'd just come home from a meeting. He's like, yeah, tomorrow it's going to come out. Our, our, our pastor is resigned because of sexual misconduct. It just hits you hard. We got a leadership problem here, and like Samuel has represented godly character leadership, but his sons don't. What are we going to do about this? Well, in verses four and five, we find a leadership proposal. You see that in verse four? So all the elders of Israel gathered together and approached Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, "Look, you're you are old, and your sons don't follow your ways. So now, appoint over us a king to lead us, just like." All the other nations have. They're looking ahead. These are the elders. These are the, the tribal leaders of the Israelite cl clans. And they're saying, look, we can see the day. You know, we're looking down the road, and if your sons take over, we're in trouble. So why don't you appoint us a king? Now, the Deuteronomy allowed for the uh, a possibility of a king in the future of the Israelite nation. But the problem is they want a king. You see the last phrase there? Just like all the other nations have. It's a leadership proposal. We need leadership. And we're looking around us and we see that the other nations around us have kings. And we see the success that they have, and, and we need to follow their example. Here is a lesson for us, the people of God. We're always tempted to think, oh, look what everyone else is doing. It's working. Let's bring that in. Let, let's, let's follow those examples out there. Anytime we begin to accommodate to the cultural movements around us, we are in trouble because God doesn't want us to accommodate. He wants us to be his people, to accommodate ourselves to his standards, to follow his leadership. But we're tempted. We're saying, well, the world's doing this. And, and there's a lot of narratives out there right now. 
that are pushing on the church. Come on, you need to, you need to relax your stance on this. You need to become more like, like us and, and you know, embrace these positions and these ideologies that are out there. And it's unhealthy. It's ungodly. And it will get you in trouble. In verse 6, it says, This request displeased Samuel. For they said, Give us a king to lead us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Do, do, do you see the difference? The people see a problem, right? They're looking down. This is what all leaders do, right? I mean, every one of you does, does this in your own life in some way. You see your kids growing up and you think, okay, I got a plan for, for their future. Or you see your, yourself coming to retirement thinking, what am I going to do when I get to retirement? You, you, you run your business and you see, okay, things are getting tight. I need to make some changes economically. You have a farm. You look ahead. You think, oh, the weather's going to be good. I got to make sure the machinery is ready. Like, like this is what everyone does in every phase of our life. We're looking ahead. We're planning. These elders come to Samuel with a plan, but they haven't come to God. Samuel hears their plan, and he goes to God. He brings it to the Lord in prayer. Now, have they come to say, Samuel, what is God's will for our future? What should we do? Where, where should we go? And we have a problem. Your sons don't have care, godly character. They can't lead us. Who will lead us? And then Samuel said, well, let's pray to the Lord and find out how he wants us to move forward. But, but no, they come up with a plan, just like the other nations, and Samuel comes. He's, he's offended because he's like, I've led you. I've served the Lord faithfully in leading you. This is personally an insult to me. He prays. You see, a leadership principle here is this idea of prayer. What do we do when we are unsure about what the future holds? Do we look to the nations around us and give us answers? We tried that in the last two years, didn't we? How did it work for us? Everyone knew what was happening, but no one really knew what was happening. Solutions were offered. Experts were quoted. Science. Science was going to save us. It didn't save us. God was nowhere consulted. Not one leader that I know of in this world invited the churches to pray for them, to participate in, in the decision-making process. So, so therefore, we, we need to be careful as we take our directions from out there when they are not turning to God, right? So, so here, he, here he's praying. We need to be men and women of prayer. Say, okay, I, I, see the, I, I see the future going this direction. Lord, how are you going to lead us through this? And God answers him in verse 7. He says to him, the Lord said to Samuel, do everything the people have requested of you. For it is not you they have rejected, but it is me that they have rejected as their king. It's not really you, Samuel, it's me. Don't, don't take this personally. Don't take it on, you know, I, they, they don't like the, the fact of my leadership, Samuel. And this, this has been the problem throughout the history of the Israelite people. As you can see this in verse 8, it says, uh, just as they've done from the day I brought them up from Egypt until the ver this very day, they have rejected me and have served other gods. This is what they are also doing to you. So now do as they say, but seriously warn them and make them aware of the policy of the king who will rule over them. They have rejected me. We are moving into an era in our world where people are, are now saying, you know, God doesn't fit into any worldview. 
if you choose God, then, then that, that's, that's wrong. You know, like to, to, to suggest that maybe prayer would be helpful or scripture reading when you're going through tough times. Now professionals will say, no, no, that's a cop-out. You need to, you know, to take drugs or you need to, you know, do meditate, but not on, on God or in his word, but just meditate on the nothingness of this world. I mean, they're offering all sorts of solutions and it doesn't help us. Understand that as, as, we, as we declare a, a God who is king, we're not going to be well-received because people want to rule their own kingdoms. And we say, you know, God is the sovereign king, and we need to, you know, to, to surrender to his leadership. That really grates against people's innate desire to rule and run their own world and their own kingdom. And the history of, of God's people is like, you know, they, God leads them through the Red Sea into the wilderness. He's providing for them food every day, water, you know, everything, every need is met. And they're whining, they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're bitter. Interesting, every time a group of people comes and they try to make decisions without God, it's disastrous. Especially when they're going against God's leadership. Always disastrous. Don't think that, they're, that the group think is always the right thing. It's not. God's way is the right. God appoints leaders. God works through leadership. God worked through Samuel, but they're rejecting him. And so here we have what I call a <laughs> misinformed, misdirected leadership, sorry, misdirected leadership. And, and uh, you know, the danger is this. Sometimes God gives us what we want, but it's not what we need. I don't know if you've experienced that in your life, where you, you really prayed, 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 and, and you're mad because God's not answering that prayer, but then he answers with something different. You realize, oh, I'm so glad he didn't answer that prayer. You know, I'd be married to a different woman, and I'd be regretting it today if God had answered my prayer as a 16, 17-year-old. We pray for the wrong things. We pray for what we want, but God gives us what we need. You know, your kids are like that, right? You go to the grocery store, and darn aisles right by the cash register right all the candy low down why is it low down it's not for you it's because you're two and three and four and five year old season says hey look look you know and you know i want this i i want this and you know that's not what they need because you're going to be going to the dentist in a couple months and you're gonna, you know they're going to be all you know all sorts of issues and hyperactivity blah blah but you know it's what they want if you as a parent know what they need god our heavenly father knows what we need but we come to him demanding what we and what they wanted actually wasn't bad. It just wasn't the right time, and it wasn't the right way, and it wasn't for the right reasons. And God says, just tell them what really is going to happen when they get the leadership that they want. And so he does that. Verses 10 to 18. So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, here are the policies of the king who will rule over you. He will conscript your sons and put them in chariot forces and in his cavalry, they will run in front of his chariot. He will appoint for himself leaders of thousands, leaders of fifties, as well as those who plow his ground, reap his harvest, and make his weapons of war and his chariot equipment. He will take your daughters to be ointment makers, cooks, and bakers. He will take your best fields and vineyards and give them to his own servants. He will demand a tenth of your seed as another produce of your vineyards and give it to his administrators and to his servants. He will take your male and female servants, as well as your best cattle and your donkeys, and assign them for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks, and you yourself will be his servants. In that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you in that day. 
give you what you want, but this is what you're going to get. The word take shows up there and, and demand, you know. This is what's going to happen when you get a king. He is not going to be there to, to look after you and feed you. and He's going to take and take and take more and demand more. And, and whatever freedom and security you think you're going to get is actually going to become enslavement to you. In fact, this type of king will lead you back to the place you were before you left Egypt. Do you really know what you're asking for? Do you really know what you want? I call this misinformed leadership. One commentator calls it parasitic leadership. It's not there to help you. It's there to just take from you. The problem with secular leadership models even some of them that espouse this concept of servant leadership, it's usually self-serving. Uh, the business leadership models, it's about profit. If there's no profit, then there's no business. So, so that, that you know, kind of guides the business. And, and even though every once in a while someone with, with some good character comes in and, and helps bring balance, I mean, ultimately you are a peon, a pawn in the game of, of, of someone up high ambition and ideology. And that's frustrating, isn't it? And so some of you choose to get involved in politics because that's going to change everything, right? That's going to fix everything. I remember sitting, I was in Illinois. The group of pastors who were involved in ministry in Russia, we were all kind of partnered with a, a church in Russia that was doing education. And so we, we were having one of these kind of strategy sessions in Illinois, Love Park, Illinois. And, and it was, the, it was the, just the aftermath of an election where uh, a politician from Chicago got elected president. You know who I'm talking about. And, of course, the local guys I was meeting with were not men that voted for this particular president. So there was just this collective depression in the room. Like, oh, what's going to happen to America? You know, and ooh, you know. And the irony is we're working with Russian pastors who have been living under dictatorship their whole life for centuries, and we're helping them to continue to promote the gospel. And there we are sitting in America. Woe be, woe be us because, oh, no, they got a, a president from the other side, you know, the dark side. And, oh, no. Of course, you know, not, they continued to do ministry. They continued to grow their churches. They continued to send people over to Russia. It didn't change anything, but there was just this collective depression. I sat across a guy down in southern Alberta who was involved in, in provincial politics, and he just saw things unraveling, and he was just so despondent, and he was a man of faith, and I just was like, where do you put your hope? I'm not saying you shouldn't be politically active. That's fine, but just understand. Lasting change, true change, can only come through God. I mean, vote responsibly. Be involved, that's fine. But the, the things that you really long for, that type of transformational change, doesn't come through a political process or party. It comes through the right king. We'll get there in a moment. In... Uh, Verse 19, after this, this big speech, you think the people would say, wait a second, can we reconsider our, our request? You know, can we revise that? You know, because now that we've got all the facts about kingship, we realize this is not exactly the benefit, the bonus that we thought we would get, right? Increased taxation, you know, them grabbing your kid and putting him into forced labor or having her, you know, serve in the bakery of the, of the royal ovens. I mean, I mean, maybe this isn't really what we wanted, but no, 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 look what happens in verse 19. 
there. But the people refused to heed Samuel's warning. Instead, they said, no, there will be a king over us. We will be just like all the other nations. Our king will judge us and lead us and fight our battles. So you see it there? They think this is the easy way out. As though the king is some type of late night infomercial, right? That promises you instant results with, with little input. You know those, you know those, those exercise things that you, you see? You know, there was all sorts of them, little stretchy things, little wheel things. And, you know, this was going to, seven minutes a day, you're going to become, you know, built like Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever. You know, whoever you're, you know, your buff person. And, and then, you now you go to the thrift store and you, what, what do you see on the racks there? Ab masters, you know. You know, you know, all these little trinkets for your kitchen that will make life easier. Where do you find? They're, they're at the thrift store now. Two dollars instead of nineteen ninety nine. Three payments of nineteen ninety nine plus shipping and handling. It's only two bucks at the olive tree, right? Because they don't work. They promise us instant gratification, but then they end up on a garage sale somewhere. No, we need a king. We gotta have it. Because he's going to make life easier for us. I mean, you name your poison, but we do this in so many areas, right? If only I lost 20 pounds, then everything would be good. If only I had that car. If only I had a better job. Many of us, all of us probably at one point or another, would said, if only I won the lottery or had a million dollars, all my problems would go away. We've all said that, right? We've all thought that, right? There are no instant solutions to life's problems. But they're like, this king is going to take care of all of our problems for us. What they're going to find is the king is going to give them more problems than they already have. In verse 20, sorry, this, I call this myopic leadership. <laughs> you know, you just can't, it's short-sighted leadership. Give me the short-term solution. The truth is, you need to eat healthy and, and, and be health and responsibly exercise on a regular basis. That's going to bring you health, not some crazy late-night infomercial you know, machine that you only do for six minutes. you got to just have a healthy lifestyle. That's what creates health. But they're just thinking, short-term solution, short-term solution. The other nations got this. We need this. We need this. It's not going to work. And so in verse 21, it says, Samuel listened to everything the people said and then reported it to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, do as they say, install a king over them. Then Samuel said to each of the men of Israel, each of you go back to your own city. You're going to get what you want. You're going to get what you want. And so they get a series of kings. Here, I have, I have the list here. Uh, the first one is a guy named Saul, right? He's this, like, basketball-sized, you know, man in, in Israel, this tall, you know, handsome guy, you know, and and God, you know, he's anointed king. And then comes day for the coronation. Everyone's gathered around. Okay, you know, they, they, they pick, the, you know, from, from all the tribes. And it gets down to Benjamin. It gets down to, to Kish. It's Kish's son, Saul. Okay, he's going to be the king. You know, they're, they're choosing lots. And they're like, okay, where's Saul? You know, they're behind the luggage. Crouched down is the future king of Israel. Yeah, that's what you get, guys. You know, and then he gets up. And finally, he gets some courage. But he ends up being a man who doesn't have character either. He, he short-circuits God again and again and again. God tells him to do something. He's impatient. He does it his own way, and he gets in trouble. This is Saul's pattern. 
Then he takes on this mental illness where he's just neurotic and ultimately dies on a battlefield. We, we, we find him. One of the most pathetic stories is at the end of 1 Samuel. There's Saul. He's going to this witch of Endor looking for answers because God's not speaking to him anymore. So he's so desperate. I mean, years before, he's killed all the witches. Now he finds this witch, and, and she brings up Samuel. Samuel's already dead. It's like, this, it's, it's like a horror story where, where he's so pathetic. He dies after that, and then comes David. David is the exemplary king. God promises David, David, you're dynasty will be an everlasting dynasty. He fights and subdues the Philistines and the Ammonites and the Amorites and everyone around him. He just is a mighty man of battle. He, he secures a strong kingdom for Israel, but he's the man of God. He writes the Psalms and, and you know, he plays the harp and he, you know, can fight. And, and, but but then, then later on in his life, you know, he's, he's, you know, having adultery with one of his best friends and one of his mighty men's wives. He has that guy killed. He tries to cover it up. I mean, his own family starts to fall apart after that, and there's this, you know, crazy stuff going on. You're like, this is the king. This is the ideal king of Israel. His son Solomon, born with a silver spoon in his mouth, didn't have to fight for a thing. He's too lazy to fight. He just marries every princess around him so that they don't attack them. You know, he's getting, then he just builds up this huge, huge group of wives and concubines. I'm like, hey, Solomon, excess is excess, you know, but he's just, you know, he, he, you know, and then suddenly these women turn his heart away from God. The kingdom is torn apart, and then we get these stories in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles of just a messed up, messed up nation. Idolatry keeps coming in again and again and again. This is what they wanted. I mean, God knew they needed a king, but none of the earthly kings really cut it. You see, leadership is coming. He has put in our hearts this longing for leadership, for righteous leadership, for just leadership, fair leadership, loving leadership. We, we long for this. Our hearts scream out for it. And none of the kings in the Old Testament fit the picture. And finally, one of the prophets we see in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9b, he says to them, look, your king is coming to you. It's up there on the screen, I think. We, can we find that? Zechariah 9, verse 9. Look, your king is coming to you. He's legitimate and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a young donkey, the foal of a female donkey, it says in Zechariah 9, verse 9. He says, a king is coming. But he's not the kind of king that you think about. And we're going to talk about that next week. The ideal king. What does a real king look like? Well, he's not a king that takes. It's a king that gives. Jesus turns leadership upside down by offering himself as a sacrifice for sins once and for even before he gets to the cross, right? What's Jesus doing with his disciples in the upper room? He's putting on a towel, and he's washing their stinky feet. What kind of king does that? This kind of king. We need leadership. But it's not political leadership we need, ultimately. It's not business leadership that we need. It's not educational or financial leadership, ultimately, that we need. What we need is the spiritual leadership of Jesus Christ. 
And God in Christ provides us the perfect king. And we're going to talk about that next week because this king comes into Jerusalem and declares himself king and the people don't receive his kingship. The question I ask you is, is will you receive Christ as king today? Will you, will you bow to him? Will, will you look to him and to him alone as your source of leadership in your life? As your source of security, right? They wanted this king so they could, he would fight their battles for them, right? Well, Jesus will do that for you. These guys couldn't. They were too busy taking their kids and taking their fields and taking their, their livestock to, to fight battles for them. But, but Christ comes to give, to serve, to demonstrate love and loving leadership. We need leadership. We need a king. And we, the followers of Christ, enter into this thing called the kingdom of God, where we voluntarily surrender our lives to the king. So salvation is not you getting a ticket, like I said, and presenting it to St. Peter at the gate and getting into heaven forever. Salvation is you reorienting your life under the kingly leadership and the loving leadership of Jesus Christ. We need leadership. Every earthly leader failed except for this one. So he is worthy of our followership. There is no king like him. We're going to talk more about that next week. But today, Jesus invites you to follow him, to embrace his leadership, to accept who he is and what he wants to do for your, for, for your life. Everything that you look to to help solve your problems will fail you, but Christ will never fail you. Will you follow him and embrace his leadership and put your hope and your future in his hands today? I think, I hope, these last two years have just reminded you that there's not much in this world that we can really cling to that will carry us through, that will provide us security and safety like we think we need. But Christ offers us something better than that, superior to that, more lasting than that. Will you re-embrace that today with me as we move towards Easter, as we think about Palm Sunday next Sunday? What kind of king do we have? We're going to discover that and explore that more next week. So, team, would you come forward, and we're going to pray. I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads with me. And, and I just, as Tina encouraged us earlier, who is sitting on the throne of your life today? Who's calling the shots? Probably you most of the time. What are those things that you turn to for help and hope in your times of trouble? Jesus wants to be in that place in your life. He, he, he won't force himself, but he's available to do that for you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today, I invite you to receive Jesus Christ, the one who died for you on the cross and rose again. And if you have received Christ, I'm inviting you to, to, to put him back on the throne today, to just acknowledge his kingship in your life, to reorient your, your heart and your mind and your soul just to the the loving servant leadership of Jesus Christ. Embrace him as your king today. Lord, we need you. We are helpless without you. Come into our lives and lead us, O King. We surrender to your loving leadership today. 
Forgive us when we look to the world and to those around us, the nations around us for solutions, when you yourself are the only solution we need. We trust in you today, O oh Lord. Be our king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the benediction from 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. Now to the eternal king, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.